Welcome back to the Girl at the Game podcast. I am one of your hosts, Gabrielle, founder of Girl at the Game. And with me, as always, is Al, my co-host. Hey, Al. Hey, guys. What up? Uh, Alex Francisco here. And we are recording on Thursday, April 30th. And today is apparently the 50th day without sports. I love that for us. Also, clarify really quickly, when I say with me, I do not mean in the same place. Al and I are both social distancing from the comfort of our own homes, and we recommend that everyone else does the same. Yeah. Okay. So today's the 50th day without sports. I think the 51st day though, without the NBA. So let's start by talking about what we miss the most. You go first. Okay. Well, obviously I miss the sports. I would say I miss the Red Sox the most, but that would be a lie because I know that if we had baseball right now, I'd probably be losing my mind every time a different pitcher took the mound and gave up like 75 home runs. So I would have to say I miss Celtics games, I miss Kemba, and I miss Fenway Park. And I miss like David Ortiz just showing up and trying to convince us that everything's going to be okay when it probably isn't going to be okay. (laughs) Um, I think from a fan's perspective, I miss hockey season. Just the Bruins being like in first place kind of really sucks. And also weird Celtics Twitter just reacting during games. But I think the thing I really, really, really am craving for, which kind of sounds like I'm a masochist, but just like the pressure you feel covering a game on game day when like maybe the game just ended, you're doing all the post-game pressers and stuff, and you just feel this like overwhelming sense of, I guess, pressure where you have a million things to do, but then you bang out your stories at the end of the game and just you walk out of the garden or out of Fenway or wherever and it's so late in the night, but you just feel like such a feeling of accomplishment. And I just, there's nothing I miss more than being on site, on location, listening to the fans and just having a million things going on at once and stories to write. Just that stress I thrive off of and I miss it so much. I'm a sucker for a good deadline. I feel like if I don't have a deadline, I just put stuff off, but I thrive really well in crunch time. And the one other thing I really miss is uh, going to like batting practice at Fenway and seeing the players come over and talk to kids because sometimes there are just those players that really love to talk to kids and families and they know how special it is, like what an impact it has on a young fan to get to meet a player that they really admire. And I remember last fall during the Giants series at Fenway, Kevin Pillar was like on the Giants for like half the season. And this little kid that was standing next to me was wearing a Pilar Giants jersey and had a sign that said, it's my birthday. I flew all the way here to see Kevin Pilar on my birthday. And I guess Pilar had already become one of his favorite players. And Pilar came over and like talked to the kid for like 10 minutes and took pictures with the family. And that kid's day was just totally made. And I love when stuff like that happens. Yeah, just those happy, feel good stories. I know you say that too. And just like, especially now, like the weather's kind of starting to get nice in Boston. So like, enough, there's really no, it's one of my favorite scents in the world, oddly enough, is just like, the smell of Fenway on like a spring summer day right before yes. batting practice, the grass, the, the sunshine, it's just like, oh, it's like crack. There's so much excitement <laughs> around it. And I will say the last week has kind of felt like we've had like normal stuff to write and talk about. Like, so I guess now is a good time to just recap the week of sports. 
and start with a big headline today. The Bengals have released Andy Dalton after nine years. Uh, I know you're not our resident football girl. Any reactions to that? Well, you know, I am not a big football person. People who follow me on Twitter know that football is probably the sport I am least invested in. But you know what? Fun fact, my synagogue is like right down the street from Fenway. And so it's weirdly a place where like a lot of Jewish athletes will come. Kapler and Eucalyptus, when they were on the Red Sox, they would come for the high holidays. And Bob Kraft grew up going to our synagogue. And when he, you know, became like an adult and got super rich, he donated a bunch of stuff to the synagogue. So there's like stained glass windows in the sanctuary that have his mom's name on them and things like that. His dad, I think, was the president of our synagogue. And so he comes to the synagogue sometimes, but he took classes with my dad. It's like this big thing in Boston. And Bob and his late wife, Myra, took the class and they became friends with him. And so at least once, I think it was twice, Bob wanted, he had some religious Christian players on the Patriots who wanted to go to Israel and get baptized in the Jordan River. And he asked my dad to be like the rabbi who led the trip. And so it was like, my dad, Bob, and like Ben Watson, I think was one of them. They had like a bunch of them. And my dad just like took them around Israel. And they had a blast. And (laughs) so my dad's like a big Patriots fan, but I I'm more baseball and basketball, but I know the Bengals because the Bengals are like the Orioles of the NFL and the Bengals have just had such a rough time of it for basically the last like 30 years. Yeah. um, So you're right about that. And to kind of just fill you in like this makes a lot of sense and was really anticipated because the Bengals obviously had the first round pick this year, the first overall selection. They grabbed Joe Burrow out of LSU who just went undefeated with the Tigers and won a national championship this year. So Andy Dalton released, and obviously rumors are already flying around about where he's going to land. They have been since before this news broke. We're hearing the Jaguars, and of course, naturally, uh, the Patriots are supposedly interested in Andy Dalton. Well, they do need a quarterback for the first time in like almost 20 years. They do, but like... I just hate even wasting the time to speculate sometimes on what Bill Belichick's going to do. One, because he's 10 times smarter than me. And like also from a fan perspective, honestly, in Bill, we trust like the NFL draft, which is another big thing that happened this week. This year was like the most Belichick draft ever. Quarterbacks and receivers galore on the board. And he takes a division two safety with the team's number one pick and also signs an undrafted free agent wide out who walked on as a kicker at Auburn and then like transitioned to a wide receiver, if I'm not mistaken. So like Belichick is so notorious for just pulling guys off the street. And like, you really can't, I think, put too much credence into the Patriots drafts because I mean, it's Bill, you know what I mean? Like we have the greatest mind in football. You know, it's like they say um, he's playing chess and we're playing checkers. It's not even like he's playing chess and we're playing checkers. We're playing like tic-tac-toe and he's playing Settlers of Catan and he's winning. Or that Ben Wyatt game, Cones of Dunshire. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You're so right. So basically where I'm at is like, After this draft, I don't know if I'm going to be ripping my hair out every Sunday watching this team or if Belichick just is going to keep the ship sailing, you know, but I think 
Brady leaving and him getting to kind of maybe like them set their own independent legacies is going to be the funnest like storyline to come out of this year. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Well, the other thing is that Belichick, I feel like the difference between, you know, everyone wants to compare. Everyone always talks about the Red Sox and the Pats because they're the two most winning teams in the region in the past two decades. But the difference is like people talking about the Red Sox, you know, tanking or not playing well and just not caring. And I don't think Belichick has that in him. It's just a totally different culture. Belichick making weird moves during the draft is not a sign of, you know, the Pats aren't going to be good. It's just a throwaway year or whatever. I don't think Belichick would ever let that happen. He's like, he's, he's just like a thousand steps ahead of everybody. Exactly. I football. Um, yeah, you did a little bit. <laughs> more to come, more to come. And also Belichick letting his dog sit in the chair for the draft was my favorite part. You know there's nothing going on when Adam Schefter is calling up Linda Holiday, Bill Belichick's girlfriend, to just like chat about how the dog ended up on the table for that whole live shot during the Patriots selection. Like that dog's Instagram following has gone from zero to 100. (laughs) All right, moving on. Like we said, like we're just so sick of all the updates we were getting on non-updates. But it's starting to look like but like the ball is in motion here for potential returns, just waiting on health advisors, blessing. But NBA and NHL are opening their facilities and talking pretty seriously about what a return would look like. Obviously, the NHL came out yesterday and said that like there's no concrete date for a return. Like we still don't know what's going to happen. However, they are floating like a pretty interesting potential playoff format, given that they can't finish out the rest of the season. So what would happen is there's like 9 to 12 teams and cities right now reportedly bidding to host four NHL playoff tournaments should the league finish. And it would look like the top six teams from each division per city doing like a best of three series. So the number one and the number two seeds from each division would face off and essentially become the division winner. The three seed and the six seed would play each other fourth seed and the fifth seed would play each other to stay alive, enter a bracket and play it out. So that would mean the Bruins would be the one seed in the Atlantic, which is pretty cool. Other than the fact that the two seed is Tampa Bay. And um, that would be a really hard fought series between the Lightning and the Bruins. Anything to touch on the NHL, our big hockey girl. <laughs> All I can say is I want the NHL back because one of my best friends works for the Bruins. She's super missing hockey. Shout out to Tina. I don't go to more than one Bruins game a year, but just the idea of having sports back and especially with the Bruins doing so well this year, like for the Red Sox, it's kind of a relief that we're not playing. Like I miss baseball, but I'm also like, wow, I'd be really was going to be frustrated. Yeah, I'd be frustrated because this season kind of felt like a throwaway, especially, you know, there was still hope when sale before the sale Tommy John news broke. But then it was like, oh, okay, no, never mind, whatever. What does this rotation look like without him? With him, never mind, without him. Well, without him, without Price, without Porcello. So and Colin McHugh, who they got as a free agent, also has elbow issues and hadn't even begun throwing starting a throwing program. So your your starting rotation was Martin Perez and Eduardo Rodriguez, and that was like pretty much it. And you're like, all right, cool, whatever. But for teams that are actually doing well, like the Bruins, 
having your season cut short is the biggest bummer because we know how hard it is for a team to even reach the playoffs, let alone be so good. They reached the Stanley Cup playoffs and then like really look poised to do it again. And especially when the season was canceled, Tampa Bay had so many injuries that they had to finish out the regular season with. Like the Bruins really had a chance. I think they played them like, I think they had two or three games left on the season against Tampa. And just, it was really an opportunity to create some separation with a bunch of guys in Tampa hurt. It's like, you come so close and then this happens. I mean, this time is so weird for that exact reason, because it helps a lot of teams by giving them time for injuries to recover. But for other teams, it just really hurts them. And it'll be super interesting for baseball because baseball didn't have a season cut off. It had a season delay. So for a lot of teams, like for the Yankees, they started the year with a lot of injuries. And it was like, wow, we're really doing this again. The Yankees are so injured. And a lot of the players, like I think Aaron Judge was hurt, maybe Giancarlo Stanton, as always, those are guys who could now come back and make an impact on their team. Whereas for basketball and hockey, those seasons got cut short. And so the effect that it has is that a lot of teams that were poised to do really well, like the Celtics, they might kind of suffer some setbacks from being away from the game for so long. But other teams that had a lot of players that were injured, like Tampa Bay, can come back And they actually might, in a way, be better off because of the shutdown. So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Right. And then speaking of MLB, baseball, it looks like it's putting together a concrete timeline to return. I believe it was Bob Nightingale of USA Today the other day Mm -hmm. reporting that they're looking at the end of June, July 2nd, the latest, to bring the season back. And most exciting of all, they're going to keep teams in their own ballparks and just totally blow up the divisions to make three different divisions, I think. Yep. They're basically cutting the country into thirds, pretty much just like eliminating the American League and the National League for the year and just kind of having it be like geographical, except for like the Braves are Eastern Seaboard for sure, but they're part of the central division in this plan because it just has to be, you know, it has to be divided up into tens. It does allow for teams to play in their own ballpark, but there still won't be any fans, at least for the first month or so. They're hoping that by the end of the season and going into this expanded playoff structure that they haven't really revealed yet, they're hoping that fans will be allowed to come back. But under this plan, they'd be able to have around 100 to 110 regular season games. They'll probably be doing a lot of double headers. One of the biggest issues that I've heard, though, is that because New York is the epicenter of the global pandemic, a lot of the like home ballpark thing hinges on whether or not New York improves because Governor Cuomo obviously has been incredible at handling everything that's going on. But in terms of using Yankee Stadium and City Field, that's going to kind of be a decision that they have to wait on because you can't just say screw it and bring baseball back to New York when New York has been suffering so much. Yeah. And a similar thing is going to happen in California. Like the governor's come out and been like straight up, like we're not having pro sports here. So how all the leagues kind of work with the legislature of different states will be really interesting to see how it plays out. However, in terms of just like the idea, it's a great one. These guys don't have to worry about leaving their families. They can stay in their, their houses in the market. And in terms of no fans at this point, like, I don't know if a lot of people are on the same board with me, but who the hell cares? Like, just give us something to watch on TV. I don't need to be there. 
For sure. And as long as they don't do that weird thing that they've been doing in Taiwan where they're putting cardboard cutouts of people in the stands, which is super freaky. Mm. Um, Like, I don't want that because it just I think it's really weird. But just give us sports as long as it's safe. Like, that's the biggest thing. As long as it's safe, we need to protect our athletes like this is not you don't sign up to play baseball thinking that you could die. For sure not. So I think that's (laughs) why. One of the most interesting ideas for like really like a quarantine campus is an idea. Oh, we talking NBA? NBA is floating around. Yes. So I wrote about this for Nesson, I think almost two weeks ago. Keith Smith over at Yahoo Sports, I'm pretty sure was the first to kind of write about this idea, having worked at Disney World for like 10 years. But he wrote a column for USA or for Yahoo Sports rather talking about how Disneyland or Disney World rather in Orlando, Florida would just be the perfect place. You and I talked about it and we both loved we the love idea. it. We were going nuts. We've wanted to record about this for like two weeks. So yesterday that it gave us the opportunity to talk about this again because the athletic sham Sharania reported that the NBA is actually really considering a Disneyland return or a Disney World return. I will, I never went to Disney World or Disneyland as a kid, so I'll always get the two mixed up. But it just makes so much sense. One, first and foremost, you can literally, it's in a major city, but you can just close it off from the rest of the world so easily and have everything you need in terms of food, amenities, drink. Like the infrastructure is already all there, not only for housing, but for playing the actual games and broadcasting them to television. You have the ESPN Worldwide of Sports complex that has like, I think 12 basketball courts or room for 12 (laughs) basketball courts or something. All the technologies hooked up for broadcasting. Hopefully players would be able to bring their families and like how fun would quarantining at Disney World be for NBA families. It's just so fun to think about the content that could come out of that too. Talk about making like the best out of a terrible situation. Like there's no sports and then basketball gets to come back at Disney World. And it's basically like summer camp on steroids where you're literally living at Disney World. You have the whole park to yourself. You get to bring your kids. There's no lines. So your kids get to ride these rides as much as they want. You have giant players trying to squeeze themselves into things like the the small world after all and stuff like that. First of all, from like a fan standpoint, the content would be epic and it's safe. I mean, it already is closed off to the whole world because the entire resort, I don't think resort's the right word because it's like a billion resorts in one, but the entirety of Disney World has been closed off for weeks already. And it's also a great promotion for Disney World, not that they really need any help since they've kind of cornered the market on amusement parks around the world, but it's a great cross promotion for the NBA and for Disney and ESPN, such a mutually beneficial relationship for everyone involved. I wish they were able to do that for baseball because that would be so much fun. And baseball more than the NBA could totally use kind of like that content juggernaut of like, we're playing baseball at Disney world. Like baseball needs that publicity a lot more than the NBA. You're right, but uh, that's why but I, think I love the NBA it. is so exciting because they're the best at doing that and marketing their players. And like, it's not even only like their players. Like, we're gonna see LeBron James and like the whole NBA wine subculture, like hopefully running around like France and Italy and Epcot, like <laughs> trying fine wines and stuff. And like his son Bronny James is like TikTok all over Disney World. Like, I love it. I love to think about it. I want it to happen so bad. I'm so emotionally invested in it. 
it's such a cool, unique opportunity. There really is no plan for the NBA that works as perfectly when you think about it. It's kind of the best case scenario times a million. At least for a little while, like maybe eventually, like halfway through returning to the season, there's a way to bring teams back to their own facilities and play in their own arenas. But what would be happier than not only getting sports back, but at the happiest place in the world? But since we're on pace with the NBA right now, might be a good time to introduce the interview we pre-recorded for you guys with Anna Horford. We recorded this interview with Anna about two weeks ago. As you probably know, she is the badass sister of former Celtics player and current Sixers player, Al Horford, but she is also the undisputed queen of weird Celtics Twitter. And not only that, she has a show on the same podcast network as Girl at the Game, the wonderful CLNS Media Network. She hosts the Horford Happy Hour, where she drinks wine and talks about all kinds of important issues ranging from sexism to dating and romance to politics. And it's awesome, and you should check it out. But before you do that, you should listen to our conversation with Anna. It was a really fun conversation with Anna, and we really can't wait to bring her back. And before we get you to this interview, half an hour ago, LeBron James put out a tweet saying, saw some reports about execs and agents wanting to cancel the season, three question marks. That's absolutely not true. Nobody I know saying anything like that. As soon as it's safe, we would like to finish our season. I'm ready and our team is ready. Nobody should be canceling anything. And ended it, of course, with a crown emoji. So with that in mind, here's Anna. Anna, thank you so much for being our guest. I'm so excited to be joining you today. Thank you for asking me to come on with you. Thank you for coming on. I mean, I know that none of us really have that much going on right now, but (laughs) it's it's such an honor to like have the most badass woman on the podcast network come on our show. Oh my God, you are too cool. Weird Celtics Twitter. (laughs) that's like the nicest thing that you guys could say thank you so much <laughs> that's true queen of queen of celtics twitter is definitely you your brother's not even on the celtics anymore and you're still like the forever queen of the network just part of the family man you kind of just embrace the city and like then even leaving the city and like maintaining those ties to it like how weird is that have you ever felt that with like a city that either your father or your brother played in No, nothing is ever compared to our family's experience with the city of Boston. Absolutely not. It's so strange that this city just kind of fully embraced us and we embraced them and we just created this like forever bond. So even though, you know, Al's not playing there um, at the moment, it just still feels like we're part of the family, which is really, really cool. You said last summer that when he left, it was like going through a breakup. Definitely. So how do you handle that breakup? Um, I feel like I'm still healing from it. Like, you know what? This year, this last year has been so weird, especially at the start of 2020 with all of the self-isolation quarantine stuff that I just kind of feel like I'm living in a weird, like, alternate universe. And I just sometimes I feel like it's not even real that Al isn't with the Celtics anymore. I miss it so much. It's like, Breaking up with someone that you were fully in love with and you weren't really ready to break up with, you never thought you were going to break up with them, but life just kind of got in the way. 
and that's what you were just kind of forced to deal with. That's what it felt like. I mean, I remember the game in like, what was it, January maybe that the Sixers came to Boston that you came to and and we were going to we were going to hang out, but I was too sick to go to the game and I remember watching it on TV being like, he's wearing the wrong uniform. What's going on? Yeah. It felt wrong. Like he was at TD playing the Celtics, but he was playing against them wearing a different uniform and I just it felt so foreign. It like did not make sense to me. Yeah, no, I felt the exact same way. I went and I took my seat, um, you know, at the garden, which was actually near like the family section where we used to sit before. And the welcome that I got from the fans, people like walking to my seats, you know, and then like at halftime taking pictures with people and just sharing our love of the Celtics together, even though, you know, I'm wearing Al's 42 in blue and red instead of, you know, green and white and um, just, but still being able to bond. And, and the fans were so cool with me and they were so sweet and they were like, we love you. We love your family. I got to meet a lot of people at halftime and people, you know, were shouting stuff at me throughout the game. So I, I will never lose my love for Boston. That's for sure. Yeah. Queen of Celtics Twitter, obviously. <laughs> so I asked, literally piggybacking on that, when is the moment or like the tweet or the social media interaction where you kind of realize that like the fans here, especially on Twitter, are a little different and especially with the Celtics very much out there. Um, What were your like first impressions of them and like your kind of rise to notoriety within weird Celtics Twitter? I think the very first thing was getting in the argument with Mike Felger, like Al's first year with the Celtics. That's what I, I thought. People, That's what I was going to get. It set the tone. And, and the reason that it did that was because I had no idea who Mike Felger was at that point. I wasn't that familiar with Boston because it was November of Al's first season there. Um, and I didn't know the media members as much as, you know, I obviously do now. And so the fact that I called him out with like no fear and just like, you know, just so easily told him to just fuck off. Um, that kind of got a lot of people's attention and everyone was like, oh my God, Al Horford's sister is fucking ruthless. Just to recap for the listeners that don't know what happened, do you mind retelling the story of your altercation with Felger? <laughs> yeah, I think, well, it was just around the time that my niece was born. Um, Al's first daughter his very first baby girl and if you know Al you know he's like before even a basketball player his ultimate just his ultimate goal in life was to be a dad and he is an amazing dad he's so hands-on with his kids he's so adorable with them they absolutely adore him so having kids means a lot to him and he wanted to be there for the birth of his daughter you know we're still early in the season it's November no big deal and Mike Felger kind of got on the air and said something like, Al Warford, you could just, you know, take a private jet, make sure your wife's okay, fly back, come to the game, like forget about your kid kind of thing. I think my tweet was just like, yeah, Mike Felger can just fuck right off or something like yeah. that. And everyone was like, <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't really realize that that was like such a controversial thing to say. I think the guy's still scared of me to this day, to be honest. And I don't know, I just think that if you are a person with children or if you just 
if you have basic human empathy, you would understand why someone would want to be there with their wife when they were delivering your your child. And I think that sometimes people view athletes as like not human, you know, um, not like the rest of us. And and you do have to realize that they do have families and and they do have other priorities. And so I think that's just kind of what I wanted to get across. Oh, for sure. I mean, like last year, are you like a baseball fan? I don't know if I've ever asked you this. I'm Dominican. So like, <laughs> it's a huge, you know, part of um, my Dominican side life, like my Dominican oh, family, yeah. like they all love baseball. My dad was going to be a baseball player until they realized he was going to be seven one. And then they were like, mm, maybe basketball. But and then like, he was um, the first Dominican NBA player. So yeah. So Ortiz is like a, a huge family friend. He's the one who told Al where he should buy a house when he came to Boston. And he spent a lot of time with Al and his wife, Amelia, you know, so he's been like a, a major part of, I think, Al's journey, especially being a Dominican athlete and just kind of following in the steps of Big Poppy. And, he, you know, he, he showed up for Al on his wedding day with Amelia and, he, you know, gave him a Rolls Royce to, to um, go to the wedding in. And Dominican athletes take care of each other. And I think they have this mutual respect for each other. So, you know, uh, our family's always kind of had that bond with him. I mean, he's like my favorite person that's ever existed. <laughs> but like, as for the family thing, so during the World Series this past November, Daniel Hudson from the Nationals was getting all this hate online because he missed a game because his wife was having a baby. And that kind of stuff drives me absolutely nuts because that, like, if anybody stopped and thought about it, they'd probably realize like, I sound like an asshole for demanding yeah. someone play a sports game instead of being there for the birth of their own child. Yeah, and I definitely, I also think that people need to think outside their own personal scope. So what if this player's wife is having a high-risk pregnancy? Or what if she, you know what I mean? We don't know this. We don't know the details. We don't know anything. What if it's dangerous for her to give birth? Or what if, you know, um, she needs that moral support? So we can't really judge. And I feel like that's something that people so easily do. But you don't realize that every situation, every pregnancy, every life moment is different. Yeah. And also, quite frankly, like, it's none of our business. Yeah, like definitely. And to be honest, like, 98.5, let's be serious, is not having these dudes, like, record their four-hour radio shows from the delivery room if one of their wives gets pregnant. It's just talking heads. And honestly, like, probably made people, like, love Al so much more to be able to, like, rally behind him. Absolutely, yeah. I think it was just a talking point. And it was just to cause controversy and some animosity and whatnot. But I think people who are rational fully took outside, which I really appreciate, obviously. I wish that people got as fired up about things like domestic abusers playing sports as they do about a good family man missing a game to be there a for thousand the percent. Attacking your brother or Daniel Hudson or Garrett Cole for wanting to be there to witness the birth of their child but you're totally fine rooting for Araldus Chapman who like fired a gun into the wall of his house while his girlfriend hid in the bushes calling 911 after he choked her. Yeah, I think people need to take a look at, at their hypocrisy when it comes to that kind of stuff for sure. 
I mean, you're like super outspoken about this kind of stuff on Twitter and on your pod because you're talking about sexism in sports and women's reproductive rights in general and politics. And you get, you know, like there are quite a lot of assholes in your mentions. Absolutely. (laughs) It's it's a bit overwhelming at times, but honestly, this is like the sad truth is that you just become acclimated to it. So you just kind of stop feeling it so much after a while. It did when I first, you know, was getting a lot of attention and stuff. I think the biggest things that freaked me out were the death threats and the threats against my family, uh, rape threats, things like that. That stuff was horrible. But once I kind of, this is terrible, but I got used to it, um, it didn't really impact me as much anymore. And I still get that stuff all the time, but it's just not weighing on me as heavily as it used to uh, just because it's been it's happened so much and that's just social media unfortunately yeah I mean I actually had to turn my dms off because this group of yankees twitter people kept making these group dms to like send me rape threats and and the thing that was so crazy was like you know people will say like it's just social media like you just said like this is social media and it's true But the thing is, like, if somebody walked up to you in public and was like, I'm going to murder you, you could go to the police. But for some reason, when people say it online, it's just the internet. And I personally think that that's a really unhealthy precedent that we're setting for this technological world that we live in, because I was going to go to a Yankee stadium, like a Red Sox game last spring. And Yankees Twitter, there were some people on it that were like, if we see you at the stadium, we're going to beat your face in. And I was legitimately yeah. nervous so because fun. it was like they yeah. they actually knew I was going to be there and they knew what I looked like. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is a legitimate concern that these guys are saying that they actually want to physically harm me in a location that they know I'm going to be at. I feel like we need more serious laws about things like cyberbullying and threats online because a lot of this stuff originates online, but then becomes real world stuff. Right. And I do think that Twitter needs to take more of an initiative to tackle these kinds of issues because I've said something, I've said like a your mama joke, you know, and I've gotten suspended on Twitter. And then someone's like, I'm going to violently rape you. And I report it. And And they're like, we didn't find anything. Exactly. It's like, we didn't find any, um, you know, risk or threat or whatever. And so I do think that there is an issue with um, with their process. And, and I, I think that Twitter is going to have to, you know, face that eventually. And I don't know, I just, I think that speaking out against these trolls or, or calling people out, I think that's something that is absolutely necessary. People are like, people will ask me, why do you respond? Or why do you say this or whatever? And I do it because number one, it gets out the message that people are that horrible and that they are saying these things to me. So then the public can see that. Number two, it either causes them to go on private or causes, you know, their account to get suspended because I do have followers that will back me up and be like, you can't say that you're going to kill her or that you're going to rape her or that you're going to hurt her family. And that's okay. So it does cause these people to back down. And that's why I call people out every now and then when they cross a certain line, because it actually, you, there, there are little things that we can do to kind of remedy the situation. Yeah, I do the same thing every once in a while. Like I have quality filters on, so I don't see a lot of the crap that I that gets, you know, thrown my way. 
But every once in a while, there's something where it's like, I can't ignore this. Like, you know, if someone makes like Mm -hmm. an anti-Semitic comment or like something Mm -hmm. particularly gross where it's like, you know what? You actually deserve to be called out. Exactly. Like it's about choosing your battles, but I don't think it's fair for someone who's not experiencing the online harassment that you and I and tons of women experience I don't think it's fair for them to not be able to put themselves in in our shoes and think about the fact that like if you are experiencing this on a daily basis, it sucks. And we shouldn't just sit there and take like, why should we just sit there and take it? We should be allowed to fight back. And these people should be called out. Like, I, I don't think it's fair to, to say like, oh, well, just let them do it because you know what? They don't get tired. So sometimes mm-hmm. the only way is to like call somebody out and, you know, Absolutely. shine that spotlight on them and have them shrink up. Yeah. And one thing that does really upset me that I would like to say about calling Twitter trolls out on social media is that they'll say horrible things to you. They will threaten you. They'll threaten your family, whatever. And then the second you respond in some people's eyes, you become the bully because you have the yeah. bigger platform. And that makes me upset as well, because I would never, I would never just randomly tweet someone and say something hateful or whatever, or call them out. I don't respond to people unless they're coming at me first. And I think that people need to like realize that. And it's, it's a defense mechanism. And at some point, yeah, you do have to defend yourself. That's always my thing is like, I don't come for you unless you come for me first. And most of the time, I don't even come for the people who come for me. Like I ignore so much of it. And Mm -hmm. people are like, why don't you just ignore them? And I'm like, why are you criticizing me instead of helping me take down someone who's saying horrible things to me? Like I'll get like, you know, I'll get like moms on Twitter or grandmas on Twitter being like, you know, it's not very classy of you to, you know, to like call them out or something. I'm like, you know, I don't care about being classy. Why are you criticizing me for defending myself? Why aren't you telling the person who said something disgusting to me that they're disgusting? It's exactly like saying like, why, why did you, why'd you wear a short skirt out to the bar? Um, instead of why did the guy sexually assault you? You know what yeah, I mean? It's the exact same exactly. thing. And that's just the culture that we um, unfortunately are a part of. And I think that, but I think people like us um, are changing that. And I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. So I have to ask you, um, you get some crazy tweets. What's the craziest thing you've gotten? But while someone's mistaking you for Al's wife, as opposed to, you're his sister. Oh, God, ew. So I hate when people say sexual things. And then they like are like, oh, Al Horford, like, you're so lucky. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm like, this isn't this isn't Mississippi, like, just calm down. Um, like, no. So just any any like, I don't know any inappropriate comments about like, Al and I as like a couple, like just makes me upset. And then at the same time, Google is free and it's so easy to use. It's not hard to like look up Al Horford's wife and see like Amelia Vega, Miss Universe, you know, like I put it in my bio, like my siblings and I like are pictured above, like in our cover photo. And then I even have like um, news stations, like there were a couple Philly news stations that wanted to like do interviews and stuff. And they were like, you know, as Al's wife, like we'd love to have you on like our our um, you know, on this segment or whatever. And I'm like, 
dude, you really? you tweeted me. You got my you got my person like my business email from my Twitter account. But but like it says in the bios, my siblings and I pictured above, and you're still like acting like I'm his wife. Um, so you di clearly didn't do your research. That's so bad journalism. Um, <laughs> and so I just I don't even respond to those people. I I can't stress this enough. Google is free. Like you can it's literally free. look for anything in the world. It drives me absolutely <laughs> nuts. People, people will like send me dumb questions and I'll be like, okay, but you literally could have Googled this before you made yourself look like an idiot. I don't understand. It takes five yeah. seconds to type yeah. in any question in the world or even just use Siri. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, the craziest thing someone ever said to me on Twitter, you know, when you play Monopoly and there's like the, the policeman card that says like, do not pass go, go to directly to jail or whatever. Mm -hmm. So somebody photoshopped, and this is like when you just realize people have way too much time on their hands. Cause it's like, they really went to so much effort here. They photoshopped a swastika, like Nazi armband onto the police officer and changed no. it to um and changed it to go back to Auschwitz. Oh, and I have shut yeah, the and fuck I have, up. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. And I have it screenshot like somewhere on my phone or something cuz it was it was honestly one of those things where it was so shocking that I ended up I just all I could do was laugh. And their account actually ended up getting taken down cuz it was one of the occasions where I quote tweeted it and was like Auschwitz is a museum, but I get you. I guess your point is you want me to die in a gas chamber and like people went nuts for it. Um, yeah. But it was just like the amount of effort that went into that tweet. So extreme. <laughs> um, it's like, what are these people doing? <laughs> like, what are they, what are they doing with their lives to where they have the time to be so hateful to people they don't even know? Yeah, I think that's the most frustrating thing. And the craziest thing is like, I don't know who any of these people are. So it's like, you really like, you have so much hate for me. And like, I don't even know you <laughs> like, congratulations. Definitely. You're spending all your time making these things for me. And all it's going to end up doing is have me call you out. And then you get your Twitter account taken down. I, I, like, I don't really understand your strategy there, but <laughs> have at it. Have at it. What fans do you get the most shit from? Would you say which NBA fans? Definitely when Al was on the Celtics, it was Cavs fans for sure. Really? But that also kind of, it also kind of trickled over from when Al was on the Hawks because, um, you know, they had that 60 win season and they had five all-stars, um, that last year that Al was there. And, um, so I think that, and, and we, you know, went toe to toe to toe against them in the playoffs. And then with the Celtics, we also continue to go toe to toe with them. Uh, during the playoffs. So Cavs fans definitely don't like me. I've made a couple, um, I guess, <laughs> inappropriate jokes about about incest in Ohio and, and yeah, um, other one. things, um, uh, you know. Uh, and so I think they, they just, it really rubbed them the wrong way. And so they've just always hated me ever since then. I really disliked Matthew Delvadova. I think he's a dirty player. He tried to break my brother's ankle in a game. And I've just never, I've just never liked the Cavs organization, or I should say the, the players that have been on the Cavs. Um, so yeah, that's probably the, the fan base that I've, I've gone toe to toe with the most. My grandma is like low key has been a Celtics fan for like decades. Like she loves Bill Russell. I love Bill Russell. He's so precious. And also he's been wearing his Kobe hat, you know, the one with like the purple and yellow on it. 
He's just been, yeah, yeah, he's been wearing it like all over his social media, like on repeat. Um, Mm -hmm. but my, my grandma like really doesn't like LeBron James. (laughs) Like she really doesn't like him. And it's kind of funny when you see like tiny little old ladies have like such passionate opinions about something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I remember like, this was like when he was still on the Cavs too. I don't know why, how it came up, but I used to live in LA and I had an hour long commute each way for my job. And so I would call her and one day, I don't know what the conversation was, but she just goes, I feel like playing with LeBron is kind of like having Stockholm syndrome. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And I just like, I almost crashed the car. I was like, what? It was just like the craziest, like hottest take ever. But I knew somebody who used to play with him on the Cavs and had basically said the same thing like a few years before. And it was just, it was the wildest thing ever. I think that when you play with LeBron, there's very little room for anything else but LeBron. And it's not necessarily LeBron's fault because I think the media and his fans and, and everyone else has hyped him up to be this king, this god. Yeah. And so I do think it is a challenge, especially for the very, very talented players that have played with LeBron that have had to take a back seat when they're sharing the court with him. I think that that is kind of a, a bit of an underrated topic. Um, and like I said, it's not necessarily LeBron's fault, um, but at the same time, it is something that, that I think people need to <laughs> need to recognize. You're so right. LeBron is just, he's such a polarizing figure that it's like, how do you deal with anyone else? Like easily the most polarizing in all of professional sports, if not like pop culture in general. You kind of saw that with like Kyrie, Kyrie in his last few like seasons with the Cavs. And then he came into here. And I think your perspective is such an interesting one on like the two Kyrie seasons and like the integration in him to the team and like how it fell apart and like kind of what you saw. Yeah, definitely. I think that we all really wanted to have success with that team when Kyrie came to the Celtics and and everyone obviously was very optimistic at the start. I don't know Kyrie that well, but like there were times where my dad and I and my other brother, John, who also played professionally, um, we would go to the Celtics practice facility and it would be like um, nearing the playoffs and whatnot. And they'd be going through a practice. Everyone is in practice gear. Everyone is running plays, running drills. And Kyrie would just show up in street clothes and like kind of be like, I don't know if I need to be here. That was the vibe that kind of came off. And I remember my brother, John, who is the creator of the Blueprint Athletes basketball app. He's very much in, um, he's very much like stay the course, you know, be a good teammate, do this, do that, do like those are the the words he lives by. And he, I just remember watching like with my dad and him, um, one of their like practices and, you know, Kyrie, he's, he's on the court, but he's not really doing much. He's, He's like I said, he's in street clothes. All the other players, Marcus, Al, Jalen, Jason, everyone is like, you know, they're going full out. And he's just kind of, I'm like, what kind of leadership is that? What does that represent? What are you telling your younger teammates by having that kind of attitude? Like, I don't really need to be here. I don't really need to put in the effort that that I should. Um, And I think that kind of rubs some guys the wrong way. 
I think that the idea of a healthy team chemistry is something that just like a healthy, not to sound super like Los Angeles hippie, but like a good vibe in, you know, the clubhouse and the locker room, et cetera, is something that's very underrated. And you hear from basically everyone on the Celtics this year that it's like a much healthier Mm -hmm. environment. And that's the Kemba difference versus the Kyrie, like, you know, situation was just you could tell that it had become a very toxic clubhouse environment. Also for me, like, it's one thing if you say like, I would like to come back, but it's a business and I have to, you know, weigh all my options. But if you're like sitting there and promising millions of people that you're going to do one thing and then you go back on it after all, after already having like a bad attitude publicly, yeah, you you can't really be surprised when they're going to be upset with you, especially when they're people that have come and spent tons of money and cheered you on. Right. And to be fair, I think Kyrie truly thought he was going to be the LeBron of the Celtics. Like he thought he was going to be the savior. He thought he was going to be the one man show with all the extras. Um, I I do think that he thought that I think he thought this season was going to play out differently. Um, What I don't think he expected was, you know, the kind of the pushback from from teammates being like, hey, it's not just about one person, it's about everyone and we need to work together. The most successful teams that you see are actual teams. Um, And, you know, Al, when he was in college, he won two back-to-back national championships with the Florida Gators. And you ask him why, and he's like, that was a brotherhood. And we actually invested in each other. We cared about each other. We didn't care who had the most stats. Like, that's why we won. And it's funny that you say that because that Florida team had, like, Joakim Noah and, like, these um, – I forget who else, but, like, these very – yeah. Yeah. Like, when, these guys who went on to have such awesome NBA careers and, like, still worked so cohesively as a unit. Like, it, I love yeah. reading about those Gator teams. There's still never been a team like them since that. And, you know, um, they won those back-to-back uh, championships and – and we haven't seen anything like that since them. And I think they were just so special because they had the mindset that, you know, we're in this together and it's not about the individual. It's about the team as a whole. That's what was lacking when Kyrie was in Boston a bit. The thing is, I really admire LeBron as, you know, a philanthropist, all of that kind of stuff, all of his efforts mm-hmm. with uninterrupted, like all the things that he does to show athletes as human beings and humanize them and make them more accessible to the public. That stuff I love. But I think that the bad precedent that he has set, and it's not, like you said, it's not completely his fault, but the way that he is like the superstar and it's, you know, everything revolves around him, what what LeBron wants. And it sets a bad precedent because not every player is a LeBron. And, right. and you know, then you have a guy like Kyrie who leaves Cleveland and comes to Boston thinking he's going to be a LeBron. And then he gets here and his teammates are like, well, you're not that's not the situation and then that ends up being ultimately like a very disastrous situation where Kyrie left Boston basically as like the Pablo Sandoval of the Boston Celtics I think the thing with Kyrie is that when he first got traded here that first Kyrie year was pretty amazing and it wasn't really until year two where I think something a lot of people don't realize with this that um, I believe it was Jackie McMullen didn't a really good piece on Kyrie, like when things had settled down kind of with him deciding he's going to go to Brooklyn. And just a 
profile that really opened up into Kyrie's mind during that time and like losing his grandfather and how he felt like he had been up in Boston putting all his time into basketball and like wasn't around for his family and like just got depressed and I I'm, I'm kind of a Kyrie apologist admittedly but I think that's just something a lot of people don't realize. I think he really did have every intention to re-sign, but just, like, life kind of got in the way for him, and the plan changed. I think that Kyrie just needed to approach it a bit differently, and, you know, just because things don't work out perfectly the way that you want them to doesn't necessarily mean that, I don't know. No, you're right. He was, like, just, like, even in media availability, like, that last season, just, like, totally different. And, like, you didn't know, like, what character you were going to get that day. It was, like, one extreme or I mean, I I was, you know, I'd go out with the guys and stuff, like, the team. And there were definitely times where people would make mention that Kyrie was almost, like, the movie where he has so many different personalities and you just never knew what you were going to get that day. And I think that that was also an issue, but it it could just link back to his mental health, which I I don't think we should fault him for at all. Um, But I do think that it was a struggle for his teammates and the coaches and the organization as a whole. Of course. And especially in the way that like he would call out the two younger guys who this year have like both emerged as such incredible players now that Jalen mm-hmm. and Jason had time to really shine. But I have to ask you about just like the addition of Kemba to the Celtics and just how they've been playing and how much fun they're having. Do you think your brother like kind of like wishes he got to experience that, especially considering like he's had a pretty tumultuous integration into the Philly lineup, which is like who would have expected that? I can't speak for Al, but I think Al would have thrived in this current Celtic system and team. And I think that he really didn't want to leave Boston and that he kind of just took, you know, a great opportunity that was presented to him because he thought it was, you know, his best option at the time. Um, I think that Philly has a lot of work to do as far as them being a young team and, not having, you know, many, um, many shooters, many, you know, pieces that are compatible with each other. And I think that Al's come onto the team, like, you know, there was um, that video, I think it was, what was it, Embiid and Towns, like, went, like, at each other. Um, And Al was just kind of standing there with his hands on his hips. And he was just like, this isn't basketball, and this isn't how we play it, and this isn't what we do. And I think I think he's just such a mature player that it's been a, a bit of a challenge for him to try to, you know, reach these young guys and, and try to get them working as the, you know, as the team that they, they could be. They definitely haven't reached their potential yet. And so I think it's been a bit frustrating for everyone involved. Definitely. Just to go back really quickly, like, I agree with you, like you and Al both saying, <laughs> Al being this Al, not your brother Al. On on the situation with your brother leaving and Kyrie leaving and everything that went down in the past year, I just think the biggest thing is, you know, obviously, like we talked about, fans are not entitled to know everything about athletes. It is worth noting that we're not mind readers. So, you know, for Kyrie, like coming out and saying, you know, a year later or, you know, six months later, like, this is what's been going on with my mental health. This is what's been going on with my family, et cetera. It's like, I totally understand, like, that's personal and you don't 
you know, we're not entitled to know all those things. But you also have to understand that if you're a public figure and you're acting a certain way and you're not giving any explanation, people are going to make assumptions and people are going to question you because you are acting differently. Definitely. That's a fair thing. Like you can't fault people if you don't give people the information, which again, I'm not saying he had to. And that goes for friendships, romantic relationships, like family things and being, you know, a superstar athlete. If you don't tell people, they, they're not going to know. And they're just going to yeah, make decisions based on like what they do know. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. But like enough about Kyrie because <laughs> whatever. <Change> the subject. <laughs> He's like, goodbye. So I have a question about Horford Happy Hour because for listeners who don't know, Anna's show, Horford Happy Hour, is absolutely epic. You talk about all kinds of dating and relationship stuff and sex and friendships and all there of that. No rules. There are no rules, no rules on the Horford Happy Hour. And then you also talk about, you know, important issues like mental health and sexism in sports and gender roles and politics. Nothing is off the table. And you drink. Mm, Definitely. What have you been drinking while you've been trapped in the house? What is your go-to quarantine, quarantine I guess I would say? (laughs) I love that. I (laughs) drink, I think I drink mostly wine. Um, I love like the Apothic Red series. It's like a, it's a cheap series, but it gets the job done. It's really good. And I drink vodka quite a bit because it's, you know, if you want like the lower calorie version, um, then you got to go with like the vodka soda lime. But I do drink like wines and watch Netflix and watch movies and just kind of vibe out. I've actually had a glass during this entire you know, um, during this entire podcast so far. So, um, yeah, it's just nice. Sometimes I think, especially when you talk about tricky topics or something heavy, it's nice to have a glass of wine to kind of mellow you out a bit. When you're stateside, are you a Trader Joe's shopper? Yes, definitely. I love Trader Joe's. They have this wine. It's kind of like my secret, like everyone kind of has that one Trader Joe's, like Alla also shops at Trader Joe's. It's like one of our things. We'll talk about random things that we buy at Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> they have this red blend called Coco Bon, and it's oh, like seven dollars. It's yeah. so good. And it's seven dollars, it. but it's it so legit. And they have okay. a whole line, so they have like Coco Bon Dark and Coco Bon Red and Coco Bon. Like they have a they have a series for. It. I love Coco Bon. I need to put you guys on to so. Costco is one of the biggest wine buyers in the world, and their Kirkland brand Cabernet comes in a double bottle. It is excellent, and it is $8, and ever since I've discovered it, I have, like, a hard time buying anything else. Ooh, I love that. I'm going to have to try it, definitely. Weird confession, I have never been to a Costco. Oh, you're missing out. (laughs) You're going to have to take me. <laughs> I will. <laughs> you're going to spend way too much money. That's the, that's the number one thing about going to a Costco. Mm-hmm. I'm super bummed because, Anna, the last time you were in town was the Sixers-Celtics game. But I was mm-hmm. too sick to come out. And I, first of all, I'm annoyed because it was the only game of the matchups that the Celtics won. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember... My boyfriend and I were both not feeling well and we were, we had the opportunity to go to the game and we both looked at each other and we were like, do we really feel up to going to this game? Like on a freezing Saturday night, like we're not really feeling well. And also Kemba wasn't going to play and he is 
mine and my boyfriend's favorite player. So we were like, mm, it's not worth it. They always lose to the Sixers this year. Like Kemba's not even playing. They have no chance. And they ended up like winning that game. It was like an absolute blowout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we, we didn't get to see you either. But coming back to Boston for you, you told me you were like, it's like coming home. Definitely. So where is your favorite place to go out in Boston? Oh, that's such a good question. That night, where did we go? We went to, um, it's, what's it called? It's right across from the garden. It's like a famous bar. It's like three stories. Oh, I know exactly um, what you're talking about. The greatest about. bar. Well, so we went there just because one of my friends knows the owners, and he kind of hooked us up with drinks all night and stuff. And we were staying at a hotel um, right next there, right next to there. Um, and so that was that was really great. And you know, we went and we had some um, Italian for dinner beforehand. I freaking love De Parma. If you're in Boston, oh, yeah. um, De Parma is <laughs> amazing. Um, basically any Italian in the North end is going to be really, really good. Um, but no, I mean, I just love Boston in general. I've had a lot of nights out with like the guys, like the players, um, we'll go to like Bijou and stuff. That's been fun. Um, as far as like, wow, I haven't been to Bijou in a long time. Me either. Yeah. Well, the, the owner always hooks us up. So shout out. <laughs> and, um, I don't know. It's always, it's always a really good time. And, um, so yeah. So that's been one of our places that we like to go to as well. I'm like, I think going to the North End for dinner is like one of the things I miss the most out of like all of the things that I can't do right now. I think that's like, cause that's like where we do date night, you know, maybe once or mm. twice a month. Like we'll go out to like the North End and just do like an absolutely disgusting amount of food. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, but it's awesome. And, and the fact that I can still go to Boston and people are still like, we love the Horfords is just the most amazing thing and you just feel so much love and like it's like nothing like that we've ever experienced before so it's it's always really it's always a really good time I mean I think you'll always be like the queen of Celtics Twitter and like I think your brother is always going to be like beloved here and you know maybe one day he comes back to the Celtics like who knows what the future holds I think that like Boston fans get a bad rap in that sense of like People think, you know, Boston fans are, and the media are so hard on people, which they are. Um, uh, you guys are passionate, something yeah. that the athletes really feed off of. So I, while it's a difficult thing when, when they're not doing well, when they are doing well, it's like this, this high that you've never felt in your entire life and they feed off it. And I think that's amazing. You know, one of the things that I've said about Boston fans before is, you know, if you love us, we will love you back unconditionally. We will like give you a kidney. Like we will like David Ortiz finished <laughs> third in the mayoral race in like 2013 or 14 as a write-in candidate. He finished third because so many people <laughs> wrote David Ortiz on the ballot, which concerns me about people's voting practices, but also like shows you if you show Bostonians that you love us and you like want to like want to succeed for us and that you're trying your best we will love you forever. And I think yeah. people don't realize that. I think people just think like, you know, that they're fair weather fans who, you know, scream at their own players. Oh my God. That's what shocked me most about Philly was that they boo their own players so much. Like people give like Boston, like a bad, a bad rap and whatnot, but Philly booing their own players and just being so critical, so harsh. We hadn't even hit the playoffs yet. And, you know, I don't think that they embraced Al. Uh, the way that the Celtics did. And I think they were just kind of relieved to have him on their team because he just 
kind of pummeled them in the playoffs year after year. And I think they were fucking sick of it because he was one of, you know, um, he was like their Achilles heel, basically. And then they acquired him. And I think they were excited about that. But at the same time, they were very hard on him. A lot of people, if you know basketball, you know that the playoffs are, that's when Al really, really comes into his own. And that's when he is putting up big numbers and really helping the team. And we didn't even get that far until the fans were already like, trade him, we don't want him, all this stuff. And I'm like, um, well, if you don't want him, that's fine. But he's the one who was beating your ass season after season um, that you guys had always been crying about. So it's been kind of hard. I think I can't speak for anyone else in my family, but especially for me to embrace Philly fans because I just don't think that, they, that they've that they even, you know, given him a, a fair shot at things. I don't know if it's because he's Celtics affiliated or what. Um, or because of their past with him, but it's just it's been it's been a bit challenging this season. Anna, who was one of your favorite Celtics players to hang out with when you would go out with your brother and the guys? Um, well, Al actually never really went out with us because he's old and he's like the team like the <laughs> team dad. Um, but my sister and I would go out with the guys. I Marcus is so sweet. Marcus Smart. He's always so nice. Jalen, yeah, Jalen is someone to have like a, a good conversation with. And, you know, we've, we've gone out like with Terry for his birthday and the guys were always good. And they always were like, you know, okay, Al's little sisters are out with us. We got to watch them tonight. We got to make sure that they don't get into trouble, you know? So, so everyone kind of just always had each other's backs, which was really cool. Yeah, they seem like a fun bunch. But I was going to say, it doesn't seem like your brother's like the type to be sitting at Bijou at one in the morning. Like that doesn't seem, oh, that doesn't seem like Al. That's an Anna Horford move. That's not an Al Horford <laughs> move for sure. Yeah. Well, and him being like, you know, in his early 30s, he's just kind of, I think, past a lot of the club scene and stuff. And he's the one who, who talks to the younger guys about being responsible and being mature and you know, so, but he knows that we're still kind of in our prime and we want to go out and have fun. So, so yeah. I think the Celtics are missing, like, not to make him sound like, like a lame old man, because he's obviously not. He's like a badass NBA player. But I think, <laughs> like, his dad, his, like, fatherly vibe would be very nice for this group of young guys. Oh, definitely. Watching the Red people are so focused on like youth now and it's like you yeah youth is great but there's wisdom that comes with experience and experience comes with age and I think that like a lot of people are like oh you're over the age of 30 like you're you're too old for sports it's like really David Ortiz played mm-hmm. baseball till he was like 41 mm-hmm. years old well, like, shut up <laughs> also, yeah also uh the Celtics probably really miss Al's presence at center so oh yeah definitely I I mean I mean they lost Al they lost Baines I think that you know that was really really hard on them and the younger guys they really did look up to Alan because he's so first of all he's so unproblematic I know that sounds biased because I'm his sister but he's just really like this nerdy guy who like is good at basketball who like looks out for his younger teammates and gives them advice and wisdom and I think that they really you know even hearing like Jason being interviewed not that long ago about Al and they're like yeah we miss him and you know he was always someone to look up to or someone to go to for advice things like that I think that he really cherished being that guy for for all the younger players. And I think that he does really value that. All teams need that. And it's hard to find. Like guys like your brother, they don't come around very often. So it's like, Mm -hmm. and I think, I definitely don't think Sixers fans are going to appreciate that because it's just not their vibe. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, I hope at some Mm -hmm. point, you know, 
they can find a way to to mesh and find success and whatnot. But my like dream, honestly, is for Al to like get back to Celtic somehow. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I just that that organization just meant so much to our family. We really, really do miss it. Well, we miss you guys too. I mean, like, <laughs> it would be so much fun, especially now. You moved away, and now I go to – well, not right now, obviously, but <laughs> I went to so many Celtics games this year, and you just weren't there, and it's, like, really, like <laughs> – I know. It's so weird. I think we all miss just basketball in general, too. We're asking all our guests pretty much how they stay sane. Yeah, well, I'm just kind of trying to focus on, like I said earlier, my mental health, and also my podcast is something that keeps me busy. And I think just, you know, trying to really plan our futures at this point and, and our goals and, and, you know, lay things out right in front of you and, and see what you want to do with your life, where you want to go, when you want to be there and, and set these goals to yourself. I think it's a really crucial time to do that just because right now we are just all sitting around with our thoughts. And, and honestly, it can be a bit overwhelming, but there's no better time to plan for your future than right now. So what, what is your future looking like right now? I think that I really just want to get through season three of Forfeit Happy Hour, just really enjoy it, um, have a lot of fun with it. The network has kind of approached me about maybe doing some more like on-camera stuff. So maybe that in the future. Um, and also something that I'm really passionate about is um, uh, clothing and potentially starting some type of clothing line, especially for tall brands, because I am six feet tall. It is a challenge to go shopping um, I'm the shortest person, you know, out of all my siblings. And so um, to maybe uh, start heading towards fashion and things like that, um, I think that that's definitely uh, in my future. That's something I've spoken to Al about, maybe collaborating with his wife, Amelia. So we will see what happens with that. Doesn't your brother do something to that extent? I thought I saw one day. Yeah, he does. So our little brother, Josh, um, he is the founder of a clothing line called Advanced Apathy. And um, so, so yeah, I think it's advancedapathy.shop if you want to look at the website. And he has a Twitter and an Instagram. And he, yeah, so he has his own clothing line, which is really, really cool. Um, and so that's what he's working on. All of the siblings kind of have their own projects that they're really, really working on. Our sister's a photographer, Maria. And um, like I said earlier, our other brother, John, is um, the founder of the Blueprint Athletes Basketball Training App, which is becoming huge. It's so amazing. And so, yeah, we all kind of have our own our own little things. So, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of excitement uh, in the future for the Horford family. Definitely. Yeah. Josh follows me on Twitter and I follow him. Cause I saw like, <laughs> so I saw a cool design that he'd put out and I was like, Oh, it's Anna's brother. This is sick. So now we follow each other. Yeah. Shout out Josh. Yeah, Horford. Shout out. Um, and yeah, so he's uh, looking to possibly be collaborating with some guys um, in the league and stuff. And so we'll see, we'll see where that goes. So yeah, everyone's kind of doing their own thing, but just trying to stay busy. I think that's the number one thing right now. There are some days where I'm like super motivated and feeling very creative and I do a lot of stuff. And then there's other days, like two days this weekend, I slept for 11 hours each time. And then I took a nap and I was like, wow, I've done nothing with my day. Also, like, I feel like this is just, like, such an opportunity to, like, simplify your life and, like, just, like, unplug. Mm -hmm. um, I think it'll be a really enlightening experience for a lot of people and also just, like, a good time to just do a lot of chilling. We are <laughs> such a society and being able to just pull back and kind of relax and have this time. 
I'm definitely trying to read more because I feel like I used to be a huge reader as a kid and we're Jewish. So we observe Sabbath. So like there was no TV on Saturdays or Friday nights and, you know, no phones, nothing like no technology. And so I just like grew up reading all the time. And now that I'm like living this life where I'm, you know, on social media all the time and I'm writing and podcasting all the time. Yeah. You know, what's weird about that is like, I feel the same way I used to be a major reader and whatnot. And, but now because of social media and because of technology, I cannot focus yeah. um, on reading like more than like a couple chapters at a time because I just, I want to be like multitasking constantly. And so I think that that's really hindered my ability to, you know, get through um, certain books and whatnot, which is unfortunate. So maybe we can um, go back to basics during this whole thing. Horford book club. Plus one. <laughs> oh my God. I would definitely have a book club with you guys. I think we should do a book club. Like the women of CLNS media do a book club because I'm the same way. Like I, the only way that I can read a book is if I put my phone on do not disturb, like far away from me where I can't reach it because otherwise I'll read like two pages and then I'll go back to my phone for 45 minutes. And then I'm wondering why I haven't finished a book that I started in July. Literally. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we are going to wrap up because we all have nothing to do, but I really want to make those brownies. But we have two questions <laughs> that we've been asking everybody, and we kind of already asked you this one, but what are you hoping to get out of this time in terms of learning or experiencing or just yeah, anything? Yeah, definitely. So I think the number one thing that I'm looking to get out of all this is gratitude um, and gratefulness. And realizing all the things I've taken for granted, like bars and restaurants and going shopping and, you know, just being in physical contact with people. I think that we do take a lot of that stuff for granted because it's just a given every day in, in our normal lives. And so I think that being able to reflect on that now and actually, you know, when we get that back, this might be the universe's way of being like you guys have been selfish and ungrateful and um we need to or like I need to let you know what you've been missing out on and so I think that now that we're experiencing it the the biggest thing I'm going to take away from all of this is just to be grateful for everything and not to take things for granted definitely like appreciating things like just being able to like hug my friends which I haven't been able to do in <laughs> such a long time mm -hmm. and then the second and final question that we're asking everyone because I think like, it's just like a cool exercise because I, I think people, even if they say the same thing, it's going to be a totally different perspective. What is your favorite sports memory? And it can be like a game you went to, um, a game you watched, like one of your brother's games, like a game in your backyard, literally anything. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think I've enjoyed like just watching the Celtics and the playoffs for the last few seasons with Al just because I've gotten to go to like the majority of those games and just being with the other family members I think that's been super amazing um but one of the biggest sports memories I've had I think I've like answered this the same way on you know another podcast before but my brother winning back-to-back -back national championships I think for our family was so special just being there um in the arena and then and then our other brother, John, um, actually went to a national championship as well. So just kind of the, we've, we've had three final fourths collectively as a family, actually three national championships as well. So, um, so just being able to be a part of that and <laughs> it's just been so amazing. And it's kind of just something you'll never forget because it's something that's so rare. Like your, you know, your family playing D1 is, is rare and then your family 
finding success with that team is rare, but for them to get to the final four national championship, that's just really, really special. And just the bonds that you create with the other family members along the way, that's just been so, so amazing. And that's something I will never, ever forget. Love that. (laughs) All right. So this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for talking to us for all this time. And we got to start that book club. Yeah. Oh my God. I would love to check out the Horford Happy Hour podcast on CLNS Media. Shout out to CLNS Media. And shout out to the Horford fam. Al, we missed you in Boston. Come back. The Sixers will never love you like we love you. I will definitely um, share the love with him. I'll definitely let him know. And thank you guys so much for having me on. This has been so, so much fun. I'm so happy that you guys are part of the CLNS Media Network now as well. You're an awesome addition. And this has just been amazing. Thanks, Anna. Love you. Drinks in Boston next time. Drinks are on me. Mm -hmm. Can't wait to see you guys. Be safe. Thank you so much. Love you guys too. Thanks. Okay, so that was such a fun interview with Anna, you guys. We really can't wait to have her back on. But now let's get to some segments. Yeah, first time doing segments for you guys. And we will have a couple different ones depending on the episode. But today we're going to be doing Drip Too Hard, which is all about funny, weird, random, super gray outfits that athletes wear. And we'll also be doing weekly wag moments, spotlighting a wife or girlfriend of an athlete who had something going on this week in sports that we want to talk about. So let's get into it. Drip too hard. NFL draft edition. Yay, more football. (laughs) Also, Loki killed a bug on the table while we were recording and didn't make a sound. So I'm pretty proud of myself. Love it. So the NFL draft outfits. So like a normal year, watching these guys get all dressed up in these crazy custom suits is just one of my favorite parts about watching the draft. And this year you literally had guys just in sweatpants on their couch, which like, how can you blame them? But also like, I feel like I would have been totally dressed up like Tua in a, in a tux with like the lay situation going on. It was just like disappointing to see that like there were some cool street clothes fits, but I wanted to see like guys dressed to the nines on their couch. Yeah, for sure. Even though it's kind of funny, it's kind of like putting a pig in a tuxedo to be like, you have to sit at home on your couch, but you have to wear a suit. Well, I think that's why one of the funniest storylines that came out of that day of the draft was the kid that straight up wore an Old Spice robe. It was just like, if you're going to be at home on your couch, you might as well just take it all the way and go full comfort and wear a terry cloth white bathrobe. So that was that was the Raiders pick, right? Yeah, Harry Ruggs III. He was drafted by the Raiders, I think, with the 12th overall pick. Old Spice was doing like a partnership because he wasn't the only one that got a bunch of stuff from them. It was for a good cause. Um, I think it was to highlight the company's donation to... United Way. I think United Way like made a donation on behalf of the rookies drafted for every team. Once I found out that it was like promotional, I was like, okay, like cool, it's for a good cause, but also I'm sad that he didn't just be like, haha, I want to wear a bathrobe. Yeah, I love that. Also, low key funny that Roger Goodell like switched outfits and just didn't think that anyone was going to notice that he went from wearing a sweater with a button down under it to a blazer (laughs) with a button down on it. I'm also really proud of myself for knowing all of this. And it shows you how little I have going on that I watched the NFL draft. 
See, I barely even noticed he changed outfits if it weren't for Twitter because I was just so concerned that this poor guy just like really struggling in the comfort of his own home, just really struggling to get through these lists of names. And like, I can see it being like really tedious, just calling all of them and waiting for the okay from like the television networks to be like, okay, we're ready for the next pick. But just like this guy was laboring through calling these names, like pronouncing Um, Tua's name. You had months. It's like when you watch like Sunday Night Baseball and A-Rod one time he mispronounced Albert Almora Jr.'s name. He called him Almonte. And I was like, my dude, you have the entire roster right in front of you. It's not even like you mispronounced it. You just gave him a completely different name. There's, It's not like there's not someone preparing the phonetic pronunciations for you. Like the pronunciation guide for the Anaheim Angels or the Los Angeles, whatever they call them now. And for Albert Pujols, it literally says poo hyphen holes, like P-O-O and then holes in the parentheses for how to pronounce Albert Pujols name. So that some like, you know, young reporters and come up and be like, hey, Albert Pujols, how are you doing? <laughs> exactly. There's no excuse. But uh, that was drip too hard. Or I'll drip let... not enough. The NFL 2020 <laughs> draft drip not enough. Nowhere near enough. Especially because you know, these guys collect sneakers, and they've got like these impressive sneaker collections. And you're like, can we at least get some cool kicks? Please, I I need something to live for. There were some cool kicks. It's just like really, it's so much harder to display it when they're not being paraded. They should have had like a kicks cam though or something, you know? Yeah, right. Everyone everyone sends in like a pic of their own feet, like their own shoes. (laughs) Okay, Rex Ryan. (laughs) God. Next virtual NFL draft, Roger Goodell, um, NFL planning committee. We, we need just an outfit cam. I want it to be like the Oscars. Like you get up on a pedestal, it spins you yeah. around, all of it. We are available thing. to consult to how to make your draft <laughs> less like the NBA horse challenge, please. All right, moving on to the weekly wag moment, keeping it with the NFL draft and our boy C.D. Lamb. Gab, I'll let you explain this one. So I was super focused on the Cowboys selection of the draft because my boyfriend is a Cowboys fan. So I have watched a lot of Cowboys football. C.D. Lamb was waiting. He knew he was going to get picked first round by the Cowboys. And he's sitting there with his family and his girlfriend, who is his, I guess, college girlfriend from Oklahoma. She also used to date Trey Young for a very long time. Interesting. Yeah, apparently, I think they were like high school boyfriend and girlfriend too, because it looks like they had some prom pictures together based on the many detectives on social media who dug those up. Don't you love it? (laughs) Well, because Trey Young commented on the thing that we're about to talk about. He quote tweeted a video of this moment that we're going to talk about. And he said something and some guy was like, didn't you date her too? And replied with a picture of them at prom or like some kind of formal event. And people were like, what? And it turns out that they did because like you can search his old tweets and he's like tweeting to C.D. Lamb's girlfriend. Well, good for her. First and foremost, good for her. Yeah, good for her. Power to her. You know what? Like this is never a segment that should be viewed as us hating on women. The whole point of this podcast is that we love women and everyone deserves to find love. That's all there is to it. But he's sitting there on the couch waiting for the call from the Cowboys, the call that's going to change his life. He has the headphones on the top of his head, like the giant like Bose headphones or like Beats by Dre headphones, but they weren't on his ears. They were just like sitting on his head, which looks very uncomfortable to me. And he's holding 
yeah, drip too hard. Literally, like you squish, squeeze your head, you get a headache. But he's holding the phone and he has another phone on his leg. And he's like waiting to get the call and they've got the cameras on him. And his girlfriend goes to pick up his second phone from his leg and he like snatched it away from her. And the internet had a field day, you know, and then of course he had to do damage control and he tweeted something like, it ain't like that. And then of course, you <laughs> yeah. know, the internet was already off and running because we have no sports to talk about. So we're just like speculating on like what this means. What's what's the song lyric by Kevin Gates? I got two phones, one for the bitches and one for the dough. Oh God. <laughs> so CD Land like did come out and like elaborate and said like, nah guys, wasn't that serious. But it's just so funny. Like seeing those moments get picked up on national television is just it's so gold. It's like, it's the stuff we all miss reacting to on Twitter. But you also really feel for them because it's like, it is kind of weird when you think about it. You're inviting these cameras into your home. It's super personal. It's not like you're sitting at the tables at the draft. It's kind of weird. You you kind of feel like you're intruding. And, and then because there's no actual sports to talk about, people are just like deep diving into what it means that he has two phones and whatever. I will say, though, you know, people on the internet quickly, like, scoured her social media, scoured his, and there's not, like, a single picture of her on his Instagram, which is fine. You know, a lot of athletes, like Patrick Mahomes also, he has very few pictures with his girlfriend because most of his pictures are, like, football pictures, but he does have a few. But a lot of athletes, it's just, like, that's, like, they want to keep their private life private. I will say that like reading the old tweets that Trey Young sent to his ex-girlfriend, who's now C.D. Lamb's girlfriend, I was like, you know, for me, I like to keep my relationship private, but it is nice to have a man who wants to show you off and is proud of you and loves you. Like he would send her these sweet tweets about like loving her on her birthday, being grateful for everything she did for him for his birthdays back in the day. And, you know, it's nice to feel that way, to feel like, You're with someone who just wants to show you off to the world and brag about you and thank you and publicly, to an extent, express their love for you versus a guy who has no evidence of you on their social media and, you know, kind of snatching phones away from you. Like that would upset me, you know, if I was in her shoes. Yeah, just because there's so that stereotype of just like these athletes not really letting anyone lock them down, which like for some of them, like that's their prerogative. Like what what would I be doing if I was a pro athlete in my early 20s, now coming into all this money. But her name's Crimson Rose. She looked like an absolute rocket next to him on the couch. She dripped just hard enough. She looked amazing. Yeah, dripped so hard. He actually wasn't that poorly dressed either. He had uh, the all black situation going on with like the thick short chains. Yeah, but the headphones was all just black. so strange. You remember how Arthur on um, PBS, he had like his ears were on the top of his head, but his glasses were just on the side of his head. Just held on by nothing. Right. And so you're just like, okay, but how? (laughs) You never made sense to me. Oh my God. Shout out to John Legend, Arthur's real life human counterpart. But yes, power to CD Lamb and his girlfriend. We just want everyone to be happy, but couldn't talk about the NFL draft without talking about the moment that exploded all over Twitter. I still maintain that Nike, the dog, was the best part of the draft, though. Nike won the draft. Congratulations. 
And after an episode full of football, I am totally exhausted. That has emptied my football tank, which is already much smaller than my baseball and basketball tanks. So we are going to sign off for the week. As always, you can follow Girl at the Game on Instagram and Twitter at Girl at the Game. And new articles are going up every single week. And before we let you guys go, I will let you know that we have come up with an idea for a sign-off. Every week, we're going to be giving you guys our favorite throwback songs. So uh, I'll send you guys out with some Ashanti. Make me boy, you only